Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We've got another patriotic offering for you here. Um, we uh, looked at Porkin' Across America for our July 4th entry and then followed that up with Drop Dead Gorgeous, which has a lot of American satire. And if I hadn't already been planning Porkin' Across America, I probably would have done this film, so we're a few weeks out from that one. We are going to be looking at the 1990 Captain America movie. The uh, the one that came out, well, I, I would say it was supposed to come out kind of in the midst of the mini comic book boom of the late 80s, early 90s. But there's uh, a little bit, uh, you know, behind the scenes of stuff happening there that we'll talk about. But yeah, it, uh, it officially came out in some capacity in 1990. Uh, it was directed by Albert P-Y-U-N. Pyun? I don't know, um, who did a lot of B-movie stuff. Um, nothing that stood out to me as super notable, but he did do a movie called The Sword and the Sorcerer from the 80s, which was like another one of the you know many 80s fantasy sci-fi stuff in the wake of Star Wars. And he did a couple of the kickboxer movies. He didn't do the first one, but he did some of the other ones. So those were the most notable credits that I saw for Alfred Albert Pion, uh, who directed the 1990 Captain America movie. So yeah, Sword and the Sorcerer and the Kickboxer movies seem to be the biggest things that this director had a hand in. Um, beyond that, the uh, cast of this movie, we have some actually some notable people in this. Um, the, the role of Captain America is not a notable person, really. Uh, it, it is played by Matt Salinger, who is J.D. Salinger's son, the famed reclusive author of The Catcher in the Rye. His son plays Captain America for some reason. Uh, we can talk about that later. But uh, he has actually starred, or not starred, but he's been featured in different movies uh, over the years. He has like kind of like a small career but he has been in some stuff you've heard of. He was in What Dreams May Come. And he was most recently in The Ice Road. That Liam Neeson movie that came out on Netflix just recently where he's like hauling a truck over ice and fighting off bandits or whatever the fuck they've got him doing these days. So uh, this guy's like, <laughs> you know, still showing up in some like somewhat major things every once in a while i was on the fence about watching ice road and now now that i know matt salinger's in it now that captain america's in it (laughs) top of the queue (laughs) yeah so uh we also have ronnie cox stars as the president he had been in a lot of different things but he's probably most notable from robocop and deliverance he was one of like the evil uh businessmen in robocop and then in deliverance he's the guy who dies really early and kind of propels some of the plot um we have a guy named scott paulin as red skull who i didn't really recognize him from anything else Ned Beatty shows up, so we get a little mini Deliverance reunion, uh, as Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox were both in that, and uh, and they're like childhood friends in this, although I don't think they actually share any scenes together. Uh, the great Darren McGavin shows up as an evil American general, like who's secretly working for the Red Skull. Um, he was most famous for Kolchak the Night Stalker, like a very cult kind of series from the 70s that helped to inspire the X-Files. 
Um, then he was also Billy Madison's dad. He was in a couple episodes of The X-Files. And then probably most famous, along with Kolchak, most famously known for A Christmas Story as The Old Man. He was Ralphie's father in A Christmas Story. So once a year, 24 hours a day, you can see Darren McGavin uh, in A Christmas Story. Um, beyond that, there's not really anybody significant. Well, there, there's the other Christmas Story connection. Which is? Did you not, did you not pick oh, up on that? Oh, no, no, no. I had this written down. Sorry. Uh, I, I missed it. Melinda Dillon. Thank you, Jimmy. Melinda Dillon uh, is Mrs. Rogers, so Captain America's mother in the 40s. So Melinda Dillon had a career where, like in the 80s, she was popping up in some, 70s, 80s, popping up in some significant things. And then, um, you know, not so much uh, these days. She might be retired. But she was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She was in Magnolia, but she was also the mother in A Christmas Story. So there's also a mini Christmas Story reunion in this film with her and Darren McGavin, both in 1990s Captain America. Although, also, I don't think they share a single scene. So no, if you're, not if you're looking for that reunion, you're just going to be so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so past that, uh, I can say that this movie had a $3 million budget. Not very good. Not really what you uh, want to have for a superhero thing. Now, to put that into context, you know, this is not an MCU movie. This is not uh, a movie made, you know, in the 2010s, 2020s. So you're thinking like, well, wait, how do I reconcile that with inflation and everything? Well, so I went ahead and checked that for you. So this movie was supposed to come out in 1990. Um, and that's when it like officially debuted in certain markets. The 1989 Batman movie, which kind of launched this mini comic book revolution, that cost 35 to 50 million is the estimate, um, and went on to make a lot more than that. Uh, so that one was 89, and it had at least three or at least 10 times the budget of this. Uh, Dick Tracy came out in 1990, and that was also trying to be like a prestige comic book movie. That cost 46 million. And The Rocketeer, which came out in, I think, 91, cost 35 to 40 million. And that was a Disney-backed superhero thing that was trying to be, you know, both a comic book thing and also like kind of an Indiana Jones type vibe. So this movie is arguably trying to compete with some of this. I mean, it could have been in the works before some of these things. I don't know. But a $3 million budget obviously is going to provide a lot of limitations, which we'll look at. And I will say as far as the release, it wasn't successful. I didn't see any like hard numbers on that, but it was... Okay, so it was supposed to release in 1990, the idea that it would be the 50th anniversary of the Captain America character. And then instead it went... Uh, it was released overseas. It was released internationally, but they did not release it in the United States until 1992. I'm assuming based on they just did not think it would do well at all. So it was released in 1992 as a direct-to-video offering. So the United States only got direct-to-video, which is probably why a lot of people didn't even know this existed. A friend of ours, Nate, who I only recently found out, like, Captain America is actually his favorite comic book character, which I didn't know. 
uh he didn't even know this movie existed was a thing so it was like i know david i know it was totally off his radar but i think part of it again is this did not play in theaters so this would have been put to direct a video so you would have had to have had like a particular mom and pop video store back in the day who would have gotten this title which maybe they would because it's called captain america but other places might have been like oh we're not going to spend our money on whatever this is because it was not in movie theaters or whatever so i don't know when i first heard about it i didn't grow up watching it uh i saw it you know sometime way later so uh so yeah i think a lot of people it's probably just not on their radar it's probably similar to the 1994 fantastic four movie which we also looked at on a previous episode and that one was like a notorious poorly made um you know attempt at a comic book movie roger corman produced it that one you can listen to our episode there's arguments that it may have been made intentionally to just be put in a can and never be seen there's arguments that it was made to be released and things changed so you can listen to our talk on that along with there's a documentary about it that uh, delves into all those matters um, but the 1994 uh, fantastic four movie cost one million dollars so they're working at with an even smaller budget than this captain america one four years prior okay so that's some background information on all that and we can dig into some of the production weirdness and you know some of the acting and story and everything as we go so uh kicking off here we've got a uh, cast featuring all big comic book fans and all fans of the MCU. All notes here at the front. Uh, our friend Jason was going to join us, but uh, he's having some power issues uh, at his house. It seems like uh, storms kicked him out. So he might join us here uh, later as we go along. He might be able to pop back in, but if not, he'll be off the episode. But our other members here, we've got David returning, who's been on numerous of our horror movie episodes, but also was on the Fantastic Four uh, episode we did, and he is a huge comic book fan. David. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. David. Um, and we also have joining us here Jimmy, who uh, is a big comic book fan. Uh, I know is invested in all of the Marvel MCU stuff, and uh, we did a did a trivia recently where we uh, were going head-to-head -head with a bunch of teams on uh, some MCU trivia, and we did pretty well. Yeah, uh, I'd but... say I was pretty happy. I think we ended up like 13th out of 50-some-odd teams. Yeah. So for, for some people that, you know, yeah, weren't like watching them every single week, I think we did all right. Yeah. And there was also always the lingering question of like, anything could be googled yeah and so yeah. we never knew we didn't do it but others could have because it was all like an online video thing i will say right. about this movie real quick i did yep. hear about this as a, a child growing up and i don't know if okay. it was randomly on like a vhs as like a coming soon but somehow i learned that there was a captain america movie and so i distinctly remember trying to find this at like any sort of local video okay. store and unsuccessfully finding it and just it was out there as like this it, maybe it maybe it existed maybe i imagined it kind of thing so the fact that you were like hey let's watch captain america and i'm now 
in my 30s and it finally surfaced to a point where i could watch it i was like oh wow oh you you had never seen it before i had never seen this movie no okay all right um jason had seen it and i knew david had seen it and i had seen it some years back but uh i'm glad i could make this childhood dream of yours come true jimmy this is a uh, very the Santa Claus with uh, Tim <laughs> Allen of me giving you a weenie whistle. Yeah. At long last, you get the Captain America movie you were promised. I think the only, uh, I think the only Marvel movie from that era that I haven't seen was the uh, Doctor Strange TV movie from the eighties. Okay. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never, I've watched all of, I actually have an ongoing list of like basically all like theatrical release, uh, like major comic book properties. And so I think I've watched basically everything, but I've never done the TV stuff. I was like, that's, that's my line. I'm not going to watch the like trial of the Incredible Hulk and like that kind of stuff. <laughs> that was so good though. Um <laughs> Doctor Strange was 1978. Ooh. Wow, that early. Huh. Yeah, I just looked looked at pictures of it. And Although there is like a kind it. of bootleg Spider-Man one from J- Japan or something, I think, that actually was theatrically released. I've never seen that one. so I've seen the trailer and I showed it to my, my six-year-old because it somehow mashes up Spider-Man and Power Rangers. So like... <laughs> Spider-Man jumps into a giant like robot and starts fighting a, a, a monster and... It was like his two favorite things coming together, and it, I, 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 he blew his mind. <laughs> That's actually a whole TV series. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And it's amazing. <laughs> All right, well, uh, David is our resident comics and horror historian, so I'm sure he'll have plenty of nuggets as we go. Uh, Jimmy, before we get started, did you have something on the Kickboxer film series? Uh, I mentioned it earlier, you said you had something... Oh no, I just when I was looking back at the director's filmography and also looking at like all the B movie stuff he did, um, the thing that made me go like, okay, this is about like where he lies in relation to things is also growing up, I watched Kickboxer and was like, mm. this might be the greatest movie ever made. And then I saw on TNT Kickboxer Two coming up at eleven o'clock at night and as a young child, past my bedtime so I did the whole record the VHS before bed, let it run. I had to wait all day at school to come home to watch Kickboxer 2, only to find out Jean-Claude Van Damme isn't in it and the movie's awful. <laughs> it was the most disappointed I'd ever been about. Like I, It was all day waiting to come home and watch this, this terrible movie. <laughs> so, All right. Was... Was that the one with the guy from, uh, no, 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 uh, some bad, uh, sitcom had, uh, the guy from, like, Kickboxer 4 on it. <laughs> the Kickboxer series went too long. Yeah, I think it went too long after one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's no blood sport. No, no, it's not. Uh... So I just looked it up, and Kickboxer 2 is one of the ones that was directed by Albert Pion. Yeah. So this director. Yeah, so, yep, uh, this guy. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, and I'll throw out one other little tidbit is that, because uh, Bloodsport was mentioned. So this movie, the Captain America movie, which even though it's not good, we'll get into that, it is a... Uh, 
a fairly faithful to the idea of Captain America film. Like it, it, it pulls a lot from the concept of Captain America and they, they try to be true to the comics. Um, but so it is Captain America. They don't like rework everything, but for whatever reason, this movie in the Philippines was released as blood match. All <laughs> one word. My guess is they obviously didn't want like America in the title, possibly because of America's, uh, role overseas, uh, the way we are seen, or just limiting it, limiting the audience of like, oh, that's specific to that country. But still, I don't really get Blood Match as a title. I think you could probably come up with something a bit better. Uh, but anyway, that was the Philippine title. Uh, okay, so uh, we will open up the floor here. What do we make of Captain America? It's just such a, it, it's, it hits the right notes, I guess, in theory, but it is not a good movie at all. That Their heart, oh, bless their hearts, their hearts were in the right place with this movie. It's similar, I think, to the Fantastic Four 94 movie where it's pretty faithful to the comics. It's just not good. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, the big departure is, of course, why is the Red Skull Italian? Why is the Red Skull Italian and yet still a Nazi? And and how old is he? Like, uh, sorry, watching that that oh, the opening scene with the Red Skull, I'm like 1936, and he's like 12. How old is he? And then it cuts to 43, and I'm like, this is, and it's like depending on the month. I was just like. So Mussolini is being deposed right now. <laughs> oh wait, doesn't matter. Red Skull's a Nazi now instead of a te- what? What? Just yeah. I tried to shut myself off from like the timeline aspect of it as soon as I saw that like, he was like ten year old Red Skull in thirty six. In, in I was like, I don't think this is gonna line up, but I'll leave. I'll let it be. <laughs> well, he also. I mean. The Red Skull in the comics, you would know better on this, David. He's not like a super soldier. There's not, right? Um, I want I want to get Jimmy and myself in here, but short version is is there? <laughs> is he in in this Captain America gets frozen like he does in the comics, but in mm-hmm. this Red Skull is around for fifty years. So, you know, but he doesn't age like he should age. So, is there an explanation within the comics on that? He didn't used to be. Originally, Red Skull was not a super soldier, no. Okay. Uh, But then, over time in comics, because as much as I love them, comics are slowed down. And that's why I love them. Over time, you get things like Red Skull taking some formula, or putting his mind into the putting his mind into the uh, cloned body of Captain America okay yeah like so eventually he does become kind of a super soldier but originally uh, in the comics he was not no so when this movie came out when Captain America when they're making Captain America comics in the 80s and 90s and Red Skull is still a villain. Did they explain it with Red Skull got frozen too, or did was Red Skull like super old and he like somehow was still alive? 
Oh, super old. Okay, all right, gotcha. Yeah, I, I think it was the late 80s. I had the issue somewhere. Uh, it was in the late 80s where Red Skull is a super, super old man. Okay. But then eventually gets his brain put into, you know, a cat club. Baby because... Red Skull. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Jimmy, where you fall on Captain America, this uh, film that you've been waiting all your life to see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of... Uh... You, you touched on it a bit, but I think it's, like, the tale of two scenarios. Like, the 1989 Batman is what you get when literally everything falls into place and goes right. And, you know, you, you point you pointed at, like, the box office. And clearly, if you get the money, you have probably a better chance of having that be the case. But, like, Batman gets it right with the costume, with the casting, with the production design, with the score. Like, everything works. And then Captain America is what happens when nothing works and the costume looks terrible. Like, they, the tone is way off. Like, there are some times where I was like, I don't know if I would ever show this to my kids. And <laughs> just because of the uh, the kind of violence that shows up at, at times. So, um, yeah, it's just, I think this is, this is what we could have gotten from Batman if yeah. everything went wrong. And I just, I, it more so just made me appreciate the fact that Batman was so good yes. because it very easily could have been Captain America 1990. We should all appreciate that Batman was so good. I agree with that. Both Batman and Batman Returns yes. should get all the accolades we can ever give them. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the costume. I don't know if this is legit. I saw this like in the trivia and like IMDb trivia I know is not always correct, but it's, I mean, you could check on this. You could do a deep dive and find it. But according to that, the same people who did the Batman costume did the Captain America costume, which I find to be preposterous in theory. <laughs> Just like because the Batman costume, we all know, like had the issue with like not being able to turn his head. Yeah. Um, but then Michael Keaton actually incorporated that into the character. So then he had this like creepy movement um, and then they fixed it in the second one. But um, but otherwise the original 1989 Batman costume looks great. Like it, it, and this does not, and we will talk about the costume for sure. So it's comics accurate. We'll definitely go into that, but I I don't know. Maybe it was made by the same people and they just did not knock it out of the park, but also maybe they were given like a 10th of the budget compared to what they were given for Batman 89. So yeah, for myself, I've seen this, this might, this is like probably the second or third time I've watched it. I've had it. Um, as just kind of like a bad movie in my collection for a while. I don't think it's as bad as the 1994 Fantastic Four movie, but it's still bad. It's, and it's like, I think if you had like a bunch of comic book fans, like you could show this, I would say like you could show it like a convention for people to like kind of like drink and laugh at it. But as I'm saying that, I can't imagine a, Maybe they do that, but I would imagine like they might be wary of pissing off Marvel people or whatever. So I don't, but but you could definitely do something like this with like comic book people and watch it and drink and have fun and kind of make fun of it. Um, but it's not it's not the worst of the worst. It's not like the lowest bar on like bad movie. There's much worse movies than this. That said, that's about the most praise I can give it. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, it's just not working. Um, and my biggest thing, I think, you know, cause you actually do have some like good actors 
in some of these smaller parts and they aren't necessarily doing a bad job in what they're being given and I'm sure they're doing a better job than if you had no-name actors in some of those roles but the biggest thing for me and maybe we just launch into the discussion from here because it's central for me is who the fuck is Matt Salinger and why did they cast him as Captain America? Because you got these other, like, not that they're heavy hitters, but like Ronnie Cox, Ned Beatty, Darren McGavin, and um, Melinda Dillon had all been in some, like, major films. So they're, like, major supporting actors. They're the kind of people that 1989 Batman, when they brought in um, Michael Goh and they brought in uh, Pat Hengel... And some of those like kind of people or when Christopher Walken is in the second one. So they had like secondary people who are like, okay, that makes sense. Those are like some talented people for these roles. But then you just have this vacuum of Matt Salinger. And I'll say up front, he's not good as an actor. He's not good in the role. He's basically just a big goober. Like, he just doesn't feel like Captain America. Captain America is supposed to be kind of like the the MCU movies have hit the right note because Captain America is supposed to be very, uh, you know, very Boy Scout. And that's hard to make that fun and cool. But the MCU did the smart thing of like, oh, he's a Boy Scout. And then, but he's like 100% believes in it. And then they make a lot of jokes around it. So he's kind of the butt of the joke at times. And they kind of play with it. But so this this guy doesn't embody that well enough. He's not really likable. And I normally wouldn't say this, but I just feel I have to throw it out. He's not even good looking. I don't get it. Like, not that superheroes inherently have to be. But you think of like, all right, a Superman, a Captain America, like those type of characters. And you look at like how they usually draw Steve Rogers. Like he's supposed to be this like all-American boy. And so, but so it's like if Matt Salinger was like some handsome dummy, then it'd be like, okay, I get it. At least he like looks like Captain America, then he just can't act. But I, I I don't understand what was the process for selecting this guy because you could have gotten an actor of equal poor talent who was at least like a handsome dude you could put on posters. So they got like nothing to hit here. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> Speaking of posters, when I told a friend of mine I was watching this and he had never heard of it, I sent him a picture of the poster and his response was You know, it's not a good sign that they don't have the actor's name anywhere on that poster who's playing Captain America. And then in that discussion, it came up. So there's an odd connection between the death of John Lennon and this movie. Just through. (laughs) I can't believe that Matt Salinger would have had a career in acting had his father not written Catcher in the Rye. And he had that baseline, like, uh, that baseline to be able to uh, pursue a, a... a career in something in the arts. And then yeah. on the other hand, yeah, the death of John Lennon, which, you know, I guess we should be thankful. Yes. It's the, the, the <laughs> six degrees of J.D. Salinger, I think, is what we're working with. But, um, I mean, you're right. He's not, like, especially good-looking. He's not a good actor. Um, some of his choices in acting, because, I mean, so many of the, like, so many of the parts of this movie should work. 
and they don't. And he's he's one of them. He actually reminded me of um, uh, like while I was watching it again uh, for this, I remembered the 1987 Spirit TV movie that they okay. did. Yeah, with uh, the guy from uh, Flash Gordon, and just how it was it was he played the character so goofy, and they went. 100% with everything from like trying to bring the page to the screen but with but that just didn't work on certain old comics it just doesn't work right like you have to update you have to change things and so it was just this like this Captain America was just a specific weird mix of cheesy and uh mix of uh cheesy and you know 90s America uh, but Salinger, like, I did not buy a goddamn emotion, all three of them that he had in this movie. Well, yeah, like, my, my other note on him was, like, that he's so flat and he lacks, like, any charisma. So he's just, he's just like a blank slate through the whole thing. There, yeah, there's, there's a scene where he's, uh, oh, I don't buy him as having a limp early on. There's a scene where he's in the car and he's figuring out that, or he thinks that uh, the reporter is a uh, is a German spy, and the way he acts isn't uh, horrified or anything. It's just, huh, 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 jumps out of car. Like you could almost see the gears trying to turn, and they couldn't in that man's. Yeah, I mean, I think we also are a little um, spoiled in with how well the MCU did Captain America. Because I think if you were to tell me in early 2000s and I had seen this Captain America movie, I'd be like, I don't know if you're going to get much like less goobery from a Captain America movie, right? And I think First Avenger kind of hinges on that like he is very goobery in captain america first avenger and then they are able to flesh him out more it's just that whole like persona of captain america kind of lends itself to be goobery and granted to your point matt salinger kind of intensifies that because of the way he kind of like holds himself and the way he looks i actually wrote down i think he looks more like like the fake cap from captain america or uh falcon (laughs) the winter soldier like, he'd make a great U.S. agent, I think, in terms of being like, that's not my cat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think, you know, it's a tough role to kind of, like, get more out of than just being, you know, white bread, you know, America, and, you know, born and raised American bread, you know, man kind of thing. Yeah. I think... Uh... Just with writing, um, Captain America... You're right. Captain America falls in the same trap, I think, as Fantastic Four and Superman. In the hands of a skilled writer, and in this case, actor, etc., director and all that, great stories can be told. In the hands of even someone mediocre, it's going to be just boring Pollyanna crap. And that's what right. this movie was. Yeah, because there's no, there's no edge... 
on the surface, I know writers have done a lot with Captain America in the comics and that he pushes against what you expect him to be. And there's actually been a lot of far-right people complaining about this recently, about how Captain America is being depicted, but kind of how he often is depicted in comics and that he stands up against the government and things like that. But, um, but yeah, like... Like you're saying, David, there's this like Pollyanna aspect to Fantastic Four, Captain America, Superman, because they don't have the hard edge of a Batman or a Wolverine or even like a Punisher. Um, <laughs> you know, like, so you can't lean into something more violent, can't lean into something dark. But even with Batman, you don't have to necessarily go totally dark. Batman's also the detective. So you can go into that aspect. And like, all these characters have things that you can push harder toward in some way or another but yeah when you have those characters that are like all about purity it's more difficult because then it's like well what are your stories about and then people often level the critique against superman as like oh it's boring because he can do anything and it's like yes but if you read the good stories it's like superman's weakness isn't kryptonite it's everyone he loves that's yeah. really, you know, it, it's and it's Earth, you know, and so it's like, yeah, he can stop bullets, but he can't, like, stop his dad from having a heart attack like they do in the Richard Donner movie, which is an incredibly, like, and Richard Donner just died. All kinds of comic stuff happening uh, <laughs> in the moment. But, but yeah, like, all that said, I just, I don't know how you couldn't get a better actor for this, <laughs> even even on the budget. Like, at $3 million, maybe don't cast Ned Beatty. Maybe you get somebody else for that role, and you you spend a little more on uh, on your Captain America. So, did you guys see who else was considered for Captain America? I I did not. I did not see that. So, what? Oh, I, wait, no. Yeah. I, I think I did. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, from what I read, like also this movie was kind of in production jail for a little while. I think it had kind of been passed around from different studios, but they had looked at Schwarzenegger. They looked at Dolph Lundgren, and I heard I saw Val Kilmer as another option. Yes, and Val Kilmer passed because he was doing uh, the Doors, and they didn't choose Schwarzenegger because of the accent. Yeah, but at the same America. time, I would have loved to see Schwarzenegger as Captain America. I don't know about you guys. I'm not gonna lie, Val Kilmer would have been a great Captain America in this. Yeah, he's, you know, he's yeah. got that. Yeah, I don't know in this, but in that era, uh, he yeah. probably could have pulled it off. He, he has he's a good enough look. Um, yeah, yeah. Schwarzenegger was uh, was ruled out because of his accent, and yet Dolph uh, Lundgren was only ruled out because he was already working on Punisher. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> really? Because I've seen Punisher and that accent, though. <sighs> yeah, and I also saw that there was a a version that preceded this when they were trying to get a Captain America movie underway. This the production company for this was something like 21st Century Studios, which has nothing to do with like. 20th Century Fox or 21st Century Fox or 21st Century whatever they call it now that they removed Fox. There have been different names. But um, so I looked it up. I wondered, is this like an early iteration of something? But no, it's like its own thing that didn't last very long. So that might have been part of the reason why people haven't seen this as much. It might not have been super widely released even on video. But yeah, at some point there was an earlier version where they wanted Jeff Bridges as Captain America. And I was like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, we think of Jeff Bridges as the dude and that laid-back vibe, but he had done stuff prior to that, and he was like a tall, handsome dude, so maybe. And then they wanted, and this one's weird to me, Peter Fonda as Red Skull, and like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. I, 
That would be a wonderful heel turn for him. <laughs> I, that's a great idea. Have the All American, yeah, yeah. It would have been much more of like a '70s or '80s kind of kind of Captain America casting as opposed to this this like early '90s where it just kind oh. of gets dumpster fired, right? Well, and and now that I think of it, would, were they casting him to be Red Skull solely on the joke? That his character was referred to as Captain America in Easy Rider. That's what he <laughs> calls himself, right? Because he wears yeah. that like red, white, yeah. and blue shit. Yeah. So it's like they came up with that idea of like, oh, it'll be funny if we get Peter Fonda. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. It's like casting uh, Sean Connery as August De Winter in the Avengers. <laughs> all right. So uh, yeah. So that was some of the casting background stuff. But all right. So we've we've ragged enough on Matt Salinger. I'm sure there will be more to come. But uh, yeah, where else do we want to take it on? Uh, well, well, let's say we'll we'll dig into everything that doesn't work. Let's let's say what works. What do we think does work at any level? Ronnie Cox is a goddamn gem. I loved him as the president. Um, right. Honestly, my big thing with this movie is it's it's nearly it's just after the apex of uh, um, of like the late eighties. America action movies, right? And you have this American president who breaks out of his own jail cell in the in the uh, Red Skull's castle, punches punches bad guys, tosses Cap his uh, shield. The politics of the movie are amazing, like just a nice little microcosm of 1990, where this hero president is like. I'm going to end pollution in America in six months. And that's like the crux of things. And I'm like, all right, I, I kind of wanted just a Ronnie Cox as as that president movie. Yeah, like, it's, a little, it's a little bit of a bummer that it's 2021 and we're like, man, if only we got a president that would try and end pollution by uh, yeah. 2022, 2030, whatever. He, I mean... That ridiculously, like, uh, it just, is, is that where we thought things were going? Because he was like, <laughs> like, in it, it starts off with a good and good amount of gravitas from him going, it's going to be tough and Americans are going to lose jobs and we're going to have to find them new jobs, but it's important that we stop pollution. And, and then the U.S. military in this movie teams up with international billionaires and the Red Skull to stop him. Which I'm like, oh, oh, we live in the world where Captain America didn't save him, don't we? Oh See, no! They thought they were filming a Captain Planet movie. They yeah, got mistaken. <laughs> but no, like throughout the movie, I was just like, can we just just give him the shield? <laughs> like, I would have rather had it be uh, President Tom Kimball and his sidekick Captain America movie. He was the best part of this damn thing. Jimmy, positives? Uh, I mean, I all agree. I think Ronnie Cox and Ned Beatty, I mean, they definitely weren't phoning it in. Like, when I saw that they were in it, I was like, oh, God, like, are they just going to be, like, asleep, sleepwalking through this thing? And, like, Ned Beatty was classic Ned Beatty of just, I loved him, like, behind the desk doing the research and just, you know, yeah. he was a lot of fun. Uh, I actually read that, like, Ronnie Cox said that this was, 
like the greatest script he'd ever read or something <laughs> and he didn't know how this movie went like south and i'm like well I, he's read robocop he read total recall yes he was in deliverance once yeah, again he was in deliverance <laughs> deliverance based on like a best-selling and award-winning novel yeah but apparently yeah this this script was banging um so yeah I, in terms of what went right i think they're the script itself isn't awful i think it had some bones like you said it had some interesting you know political aspects to it uh it kind of like the first 30 minutes basically aligns with the mcu's captain america um Mm -hmm. you know like you see a lot of correlations there outside of like they really just quickly say steve rogers is a is the clear front runner for captain america without providing any sort of background i mean it's just you know he he of all candidates is is a number one and then they're like okay i I, I guess i'll buy that um yeah but then uh otherwise yeah i don't know i i have i have a couple things i can praise it for i'll say that i think red skull looks pretty good for the time and for the budget they were given he looked terrifying for, for a three yeah it's like so i mean if you know the comics and if you've seen the the first movie and then red skull pops up again in the avengers later you know i mean it's it's a guy with like a red face that has skull like features um here they don't quite do that i mean he still has like a nose but they mess up his face with all these kind of like scar things parts of his like head is splitting um it's all red and they've got him like deep under makeup the only part that i think doesn't work too well is like they don't do it well enough to the eyes so it kind of looks like he's almost like wearing like a halloween costume because you're like seeing his eyes pop out of like this like more elaborate thing but again for the time and for the budget i think it looks pretty well uh pretty well done i will say when they later make him like more human red skull he's had like surgeries and stuff and so like now he looks more normal he has like flesh tone but he still has like breaks in his head um and he has hair so like i honestly think that would have probably looked better for makeup if they did that that look made him red and took his hair off like he would have like not looked as cartoonish but it still would have been creepy and weird but anyway for the budget um i think that works pretty well i did see that like the like the writer said he thought people wouldn't want to see like you know like to look at like a hideous face uh what was it um i didn't think people wanted to keep looking at this horrible skull face forever and i saw that and i was like of course we want to see like (laughs) horrible red skull like that's that's a comic book aspect like you want the monster but anyway so that's why they changed it right yeah they they did an opposite of the mcu where like they started off and they immediately showed you red skull's face and then the rest of the movie is like normal whereas you know it's kind of you should do it the flip side it's like all right you see him in the human form and then at final battle maybe that's where like all right now you see him in his true his true self and we never got that back we never got to see the red face again but but again, for $3 million, I think it works well enough. And then the other thing that I would say works pretty well, I mean, this is keeping in mind that the movie's not functioning well and that Matt Salinger is a total vacuum of any kind of enjoyability. 
But there's a part early in the movie where he, like, has to break into the Nazi lair where Red Skull is. And some of the, like, shot composition of once he gets into the lair, like, it doesn't have the budget of an MCU thing. And you can tell, but the way it's, like, shot, you put in some more stuff to make it more elaborate. Like, it's the vibe you want. It's him, it's Captain America getting into the Nazi lair. There's a big fucking rocket ship that they're going to send off. Uh, like, a, it's a nuke or something. They're going to, like, try to hit Washington, D.C. Um, and they've got Nazi flags and stuff. So, like, that vibe not only captures what you kind of want in a film, but it's very, like, oh, that's very Captain America. That's what we're looking for. And there's some back and forth with him and Red Skull that, again, Matt Salinger's not doing anybody any favors. But, like, the actual dynamic of that, if you put Val Kilmer or a better actor in there, then all of a sudden that section works even better. So, like, that's a part where I was like, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is pretty good. Um, but that's probably about all I can put out there for it. The first 20 minutes of this movie are the best part of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd also agree. It's also the darkest part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, he, Captain America gets his ass handed to him in his first mission in this. Yeah. Which... And and it's cheesy, but it, it's they choose scenery very very well in that scene. Yeah, I will say I was also surprised that within the first twenty minutes, Cap has a uh, encounter with Red Skull, gets his butt kicked, and then gets shot off in a rocket. I was like, that seems to be like a climax in some other movies, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, where they're having a and rocket. It was sh- here know. as well. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, I I think that's what. Um, I feel like that's what uh, they did right in the MCU um, and to some extent in DC with Wonder Woman going like, all right, let's just set the first one in the past. Just do a complete period piece so that we don't have to rush it because this movie felt it it just we have to cover his uh, origin. But we also have... No one's going to be interested in Captain America in World War II, I guess, is what they thought. <laughs> they just didn't have budget to do it in World War II, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they just shoved it over into the 90s and... Yeah. Well, late 80s, I guess, uh, for filming. And it's just... No, no, I want more World War II cap stuff. And so <laughs> MCU gave us that. They, like, they didn't shortchange us on his origin story. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, the M- the MCU approach for that, and then the Wonder Woman approach. Yeah, there were the smart ways to do it. Because yeah, you don't leave the audience hanging of like, oh, that stuff was really cool. Like you give them a full movie on it, and for both Wonder Woman and Captain America, that's how they appeared. I mean, Wonder Woman wasn't World War One when she came out in the comics, but you know, a, a comparable kind of vibe to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's like you get a Captain America movie set in the era that it, that he came out in, which is a cool thing. Um, I, I'll throw out one other note I had that I, I will give some slight praise for is they had a stop motion rat and that was pretty cool. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Pretty well done. Uh, it was like a rat that they had tested the super soldier serum on and they like made it into this monstrous thing. And you know, they do some kind of stop motion thing to show it. And it's like red and hairless and it's like, three or four times bigger or something so uh i liked that all right so with that out of the way (laughs) what isn't good okay so why was it for a niece 
and not Sharon or and not Peggy Carter. And yet the niece is still Sharon Carter, who would be Sharon Carter. Also, this movie did like the the uh, Cap having a thing with his uh, with his World War Two girlfriends, uh, like in this case, daughter in and or in other things, um, niece or whatnot. Yeah, that just doesn't work unless you've got like. 80 years of comics to deal with. But it, it just... Sorry, that was one of the tiny things that stuck with me. I'm like, is that supposed to be Sharon Car... Why? Why? Um, and then the other big one is... Just when it comes to pieces that are there and should work, could work, but don't. The Red Skull's daughter is there. Fantastic. She's a great character. Oh, it doesn't work in this movie at all. Like, at all. Um, you get no real backstory on what's going on with anyone. It's just, here are these people, here are their names, is there a reason why we should care? No. Right. Yeah, I think bringing in the uh, the daughters of two other characters, you know, I I will say I appreciate that, like, basically the Red Skull, the Red Skull had, like, an all-female you know, bad guy gang. That was kind of cool. <laughs> you know, and like bringing her in to be kind of like the, you know, one of the big bads was, you know, not something you'd normally expect out of a... a the Red ca- Skull uh, was very progressive. He was, right? You know, he's been around for a long time. He's, he, he, he's seen a lot of stuff, so... Uh, but no, I think um, that was almost, you know, getting into like the why Sharon Carter, like for this movie, I kind of just tossed it up of like, eh, why not? You know, like, they're yeah. just th- I think they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, in terms of the thing that I think works the least, uh, I don't know, you want to jump into the costume? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the costume th- sucks. Well, so there are aspects of the costume that aren't bad. And I think when you're further away, you're like, okay, like, the boots look cool. It's very uh, traditional to the comic book costume. It, it is then, very authentic when it comes to like a translation from the yeah. page to the screen. I will give them that. The thing that doesn't work is this movie is shot entirely in daylight. And I think to your like you 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 mentioned all right maybe it's budget related like Batman was shot pretty much all in darkness. So I, I don't yeah. think you see as many of the blemishes. In that costume, because you know there are some. Like, there's probably like the big zipper in the back of a Batman costume. You just don't mm. see that often. But with this one being in the like the full daylight, all issues are on display. And the biggest one is like the piece of rubber that goes between his eyes. That just may I don't know what it makes him look like, but I think that is the point of the costume that makes it look the most ridiculous. I don't. I don't. That's the part that I don't understand. So like, if you've seen, if you've read the comics. If you've seen the MCU one, the first uh, Avenger, so they have Captain America in essentially his traditional garb, although in the MCU one they give him like his old, old shield with like, uh, you know, the points and stuff. So they have him in that briefly as like part of a USO tour. Like, so they, yeah. it's the MCU will do these kind of nods. They did it in WandaVision, so they'll do these classic character costumes, which I, I like. It's fun. 
but they do it in a way that makes sense in world. So it's like, oh, okay, they get to be in this thing, but we're not really going to have them running around in this for two hours because it's just not going to look good. It's the same thing like when they made the X-Men movies. They, I feel, wisely decided, yeah, these costumes aren't going to translate for a lot of these characters. And so then they altered them. And some of them you might have been able to push it farther. But, but yeah, the weird thing on the Captain America one is like, the piece that goes between his eyes is so stretched out to the point where it's nearly covering part of his eyes on each side. And then the eye hole like goes past his eyes yeah. to like, to like his temples. And basically what it looks like, it looks like one of two things, either they cut it wrong or they made it for a different person. <laughs> and he is like wearing someone else's costume because it's just like, I don't understand how, you wouldn't have had like screen tests and have somebody be like, "Hey, the rest of the costume looks okay. Let's fix that mask." Yeah. But it's like they were like, "Fuck it, we'll do it live. We got <laughs> one mask. We can't make another one. We're going." The the ridiculous thing is, they did make another one. That was the second mask. <laughs> was what was really? the first one? He just had no eye holes. No, the first one had ear holes. Well, I know about and, that. Yes. Yeah. So, like, well, I'm just saying they had, because, you know, he's got rubber ears on the mask. Cause, yes. Cause, be, because they, it, I don't know, it hurt his ears or something. Yeah, it chafed it, him is what, it, what they at, said. At which point, just get rid of the ears then. Just just cover, like, don't yeah. make, but, no, uh, I'm just saying, they stopped and remade the mask because there was an issue. But they didn't look at the eye holes and go, you know, while we're doing this, we have to remake it. Let's go ahead and fix the whole damn thing. No, no. It just, we're going to fix this one issue in the most asinine way. And fuck it, that can stay. I will say, though, that although I've known the rubber ears thing, like, on the side... I don't think it's, like, noticeable. I don't think... I think if you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's a funny trivia thing. But I don't feel it's, like, as you're watching it that you can tell. Yeah. I don't think the ears are, like, the worst part of the costume, whether they be oh, rubber or real. Um, I, I just think, yeah, like, that, that mask makes them look almost, like, slothish from the Goonies. <laughs> yes. Like, and I think it's because the, the eyes just are, like, off-center. And it just, it's so... I hate to say it, but that's what it looks like. And I'll also say that, the I'll chest. Say this. Sloth had more charisma and was a better yeah. hero yes. in the Goonies than Matt Salinger ever was in this. I think, I, to go to your point um, of the darkness versus shooting in daylight, this, I mean, this is a rubber costume, and yeah. you see, like, you see that in every movement he makes. Uh, at least in... At least in uh, the MCU, like when when he's in the uh, he's in a cloth costume in the beginning, like yeah, it, it a rubber costume like this is never going to look good in movement, which only begs the question as to why would you have him wear this rubber costume? I did see somewhere that I guess the director, I don't know, I don't know. It sounds like Mar- uh, Marvel itself had more saying this than than maybe they have in other films but he asked about using a more tactical look for the costume maybe more akin to what we've seen in the mcu and they basically were like nah like it's gotta be it's gotta be the cap costume so maybe they were 
stuck in what they had to do, but yeah, yeah. And then the shield is just, it's so plastic. Yeah. It's, it's remarkably plastic. It is, it is a child's toy shield. They didn't even try to make a good looking, like at a glance, it looks good. But they did as soon as it moves or anything. You're like, oh no, that's a, um, which does make it really funny when they somehow when he throws a shield and it get gets stuck in uh, in uh, stonework. One weird uh, one weird shield aspect. I don't know if anyone else thought of this, and maybe this is something that happens in the comics a lot, and so it's, I'm unfamiliar with it. So I'm just connecting it to this other moment. But slight spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but there's a, a moment in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'll, 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 hesitate, I'll pull back a little bit. But basically where a, a character uses the Captain America shield and is like bringing it down on someone violently. The president does that in this movie. And it shot very similarly yeah. to the way they did it in Falcon and Winter Soldier to the point where I wondered... Did they look at this as kind of inspiration for that moment? Or is it just there's only so many ways you can shoot someone trying to murder a person with a Captain America shield? I don't know. Speaking of murder, there's a lot of it in this movie, huh? <laughs> yeah, actually. Captain America straight up just throws a guy down a vent to his Yeah! I, it was like... Straight out of, like, you know, the the Batman, like, all right, now Batman's fighting a guy who knows martial arts. Captain America does the same thing, and he basically just gets the information out of him and throws him down a shaft. <laughs> and, and I we was hear like, the guy, like, like yell, like, it's like a, yeah. like a bottomless oh. pit. As Captain America's going to pick up his wallet. Oh. <laughs> right. When it got to that point, I remember going, like, we never hear him crash. No, <laughs> we never hear a thud. We don't hear the uh, scream actually, and it just trails off. <laughs> uh, yeah. On on that point, we can get back to the the murders. Um, but another funny, <laughs> funny Captain America thing because we talked about you know Captain America being you know all star American boy and like Pollyanna ish and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, you want to do something past that or you want to find a way to make that work but yeah it's like but the solution is not oh well, let's just make him a violent sociopath which i'm not saying this movie does but it's the kind of thing that people will level at Zack snyder's approach to superman rightly so i would say it's like <laughs> no superman's not a dark character you don't understand him at all please stop making these and go away <laughs> but but there were a couple not violent, but just weird things that Captain America does in this that I'm like sitting there thinking like, is this in Steve Rogers character? And like, <laughs> then I'm thinking like, it might be, but why do we have to show it? So he's in the car with Ned Beatty and he thinks Ned Beatty's like an enemy agent or something. And so he's like, oh, pull over. I'm going to be sick. And then he like goes over to the side of the road and we find out. He's so now we already have our hero like acting like he's car sick. Not a great look for any lead hero of a film. But then we find out so Ned Beatty gets out of the car to go check on him. Then we find out, oh, it was merely a ruse so that Captain America could jog over quickly and steal his car. So we have Captain America carjacker, and it's just such a weird sequence because like you have Captain America stealing a car. 
but theoretically it's for a good reason. You have him feigning sickness, but then it's like makes him seem weak. And then just like Matt Salinger's little like tepid jog over to the car doesn't make him look heroic. And I was like, man, that's a really bad moment. And then it happens again. He does it again. It's <laughs> yeah, his go-to to move. <laughs> yeah, to the Sharon character, because in this point, he's trying to protect her because he doesn't want her, like, going into the Nazi lair. And so he acts like he's going to be sick, and she comes to check on him. He does his little jog. He steals the car. And it's like, I, like maybe this is in Steve Rogers' character because he's trying to find a solution that, like, doesn't hurt anyone. Like, he doesn't want to knock her out or something but then later he also steals some kid's bike but he does throw money at him so like that's like oh well i'm steve rogers so here's money you're good so it's like these moments where like i'm so torn of like even if they are in captain america's character they're the parts that i wish would stay on the page and not be on the screen i honestly i think he would have been like the real Captain America would have been more violent towards, uh, what's his face? Uh, Ned Beatty's character. That's an enemy agent. That, but he really wasn't, though. I know. But he doesn't know that. But, uh, it's, there's a certain casualness in, in these movies. Well, in all of these movies, to, you know, henchmen being, and also in the comics, to henchmen dying and being murdered. Where it just, Oh, even in the new ones, it just Cap just tossed that guy off an airplane. That guy's dead. All right. Yeah, like, yeah but this one isn't even like. Oh yeah, this subtle one's just, about it. Boop. I mean, this one was. Uh, you know, they start the entire movie off in Italy and basically have the Nazis blow away the Red Skull's entire family and make him watch. You know, like yeah. yikes. Well, it and, is uh, a. On the on the like Captain America killing people because I remember this coming up some discussion online. I don't know if it was like some Twitter thread I was seeing, but people were like, I think it was when Falcon Winter Soldier came out and they were talking about characters in that killing, and uh, and they were talking about you know, well, the MCU Captain America is absolutely killed. One question I have is, have we actually seen him kill someone on screen? It's been a while since I watched any of the three, so have we actually seen that? That's one. And the other thing that people are pointing out and I agree with is that we basically trust Steve Rogers to know when it's necessary as a character. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. And like in World War II, he absolutely killed people, but that's during wartime. And so I would say that that would be set aside somewhat differently from other missions. And I don't know if in the regular with the plane thing you're talking about david was that in the flashback stuff or is that like in the second or third one or something or no that was in world war ii that was okay yeah. Plus, he, he crashed the giant like you know floating ships in in what a uh, winter soldier mm -hmm. they, those yeah. are clearly pl piloted by people like that was probably thousands hundreds of people that he killed <laughs> And not all of those people would have been Hydra agents. Right, probably not. We're getting into the clerk's territory yeah. about the Death Star here. <laughs> Listen, Captain America kills for the greater good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I guess it all just falls under suspension of disbelief or whatnot. It just, we're going to have to accept... Oh, and, yes, also... 
it's kind of a Captain America is one of those characters you have to implicitly trust. Yeah. Uh, which is why he's good propaganda by war bonds. <laughs> Uh, another violent moment that uh, that I had some uh, problems with is in the beginning of the movie. Uh, so Captain America has been strapped to this rocket that uh, like a missile to be sent to Washington and Red Skull is is monologuing, you know, like in the Incredibles there in front of him and Captain America grabs Red Skull's hand um, he's strapped down, but he like is able to grab his hand because he's close enough, which is already problematic in the scripting because, like, yes, Captain America's strong because he has super soldier serum, but Red Skull is also strong because he has super soldier serum. So why does he just go, get the fuck off me, and move his hand? <laughs> but hang on. But he grabs his hand to, like, hold on to Red Skull with the idea of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I'm going down, you're going down with me. And then Red Skull cuts off his own hand with some kind of blade to get free and i whispered to the screen why didn't you cut off captain america's hand (laughs) oh no 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 no. he was going to cut off captain america's hand and cap pulls okay i missed that yeah it's very quick also (laughs) also uh um why was Red Skull that close to him that Cap could grab him? Yes. Because this version of Captain America's go-to move is based subterfuge. Oh, come here. I need to tell you something, but I'm going to whisper it to you while I'm strapped to a rocket that has 15 seconds before it. <laughs> like, he's obviously going to grab you, Red Skull. <laughs> like, like well, plus- this is this is child-level... <laughs> the crazy thing is like they you know they make it a point to, that he cut off his own arm and I, or his own hand and then they mention it at some point of like oh yeah we you know later in the movie when it's the 1990s yeah we're looking for a man who uh you know who is the red skull he's got one hand and i think you kind of see a little bit of it like through a glove but he's wearing gloves the entire time and that hand seems to be able to move around just fine and so he they never the really piano. touch on it. Yeah. <laughs> he plays the piano with it fine, which, I mean, were prosthetics that good in 1990? Like, B- billionaire prosthetic prosthetics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got uh, some from Tony Stark off screen. Oh, oh. Um, I do like that uh, near the end of the movie, he never actually plays. I was a little disappointed, but near the end of the movie, when he's monologuing again, He's sitting at a piano on top of a castle like he's in a Pink Floyd <laughs> album cover. And that's so where I he like keeps that his bomb moment. detonator, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had the bomb detonator built into the piano, which, yeah. that that's beautiful. Um, I do wonder about that. So, okay. It's a bold move to start off a Captain America movie with a sympathy ploy for the Red Skull. Yeah. <laughs> because... I, you know, he, he's, the Red Skull is a horrific looking Nazi. Cool. Oh, we're going to change him into an Italian who, and we're going to watch his family get murdered when he's 10. Are, are they, are they trying to make us feel for him? Why? Well, I, like, I, they tra- I, I guess in an earlier cut, they made him even more sympathetic. Because really? They, uh, yeah, it was like, there was like a section where 
he was like playing the piano and like crying or something like maybe having flashbacks so it's like the idea i think is like that he doesn't like the monster he's become but yeah it's like it's it's odd it's an odd choice because he's not mr freeze He's not Magneto. He's not coming from a point of view of like, oh, well, this guy's basically yeah. right. He just probably shouldn't be doing this stuff. It's like, you know, he's a he's a skull faced Nazi man. So yeah, Red Skull should be the most one note evil character. <laughs> like, rarely is that good. Rarely should you have a one note evil character. The Red Skull is that. Yeah, he killed. He basically is said that he was the reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, JFK was killed, Robert Kennedy was killed, yes. and you're over there like, yeah, but you know, he watched his parents die. Like, you know, it's going to mess you up, right? <laughs> oh, his... Again, the weird-ass politics of this movie where it's just, okay, this, this conglomeration of... Billionaires, the Red Skull, and the U.S. military are behind every major assassination in the U.S. in the last 50 years. Well, at least some of those groups were. (laughs) It just... These are strange statements that they made in this movie. And just flat out like, oh, we're going to name drop this? This is a thing? It's a much larger story than we're going to uh, give credence to. It just... Oh yes, we're behind everything. So moving if on. You, uh, if you want to talk strange stuff in regards to Red Skull, I saw that uh, according to like uh, I think one of the writers on the film. So there was an older plot uh, where the film involved a stolen Statue of Liberty by an elderly Red Skull, aided by a female Death Cult. So that pr- presumably survived a little bit. Cool. And Steve Rogers working as an artist for some reason. I don't know. Well, I got really hung up on stolen Statue of Liberty plot. Like, how? How does that happen? Like, how could, like, Red Skull's evil guy, whatever. The Statue of Liberty is huge. How do you steal a gigantic landmark? Do you do it in sections? Are you doing it mm-hmm. under cover of night? Like, this is not like the Declaration of Independence in National Treasure. It's not like you can put it in a satchel. How do you steal the Statue of Liberty? Also, for what end? What does it get you? Uh, I mean, the obvious answer to that is uh, the 1983 event where David Copperfield uh, made the Statue of Liberty disappear. See, I was going to go uh, a little bit more recent to the 1990s and say he just needed some of that pink blob from Ghostbusters 2 and it would just, <laughs> he'd walk away with it. <laughs> Mood slime. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Did anyone would've... else? Go ahead, David. Oh, I was going to say, I would have loved to have seen that movie. It probably yeah. would have made it somehow more sense of this one. <laughs> Did anyone else get the feel that Captain America... Uh, whether intentionally or not, was basically Bigfoot for, like, a portion of it. Did <laughs> oh, you notice like that? In the, the Northwest, that, like, no one knows who he is? Yeah, no one knows who he is. The president, as a child, gets a picture of him that's blurry. Yeah. And then he shows up out of ice, and he's, like, basically Encino Man. And he's well, running through the Northwest. That was an element <laughs> I was gonna, like, not even mention, just because the movie surrounding it is just bad enough. But I did think by the end of it, but since you're bringing it up, so, like, yeah... 
Captain America goes, as David, I think, mentioned, David or Jimmy mentioned, he goes on one mission at the beginning. And they, they've made, they made one super soldier. They're going to make others, but then the doctor dies, of course. So it's just Captain America. And then Red Skull is also a super soldier uh, from the other side. And so he goes on one mission, gets his ass handed to him, gets rocketed to D.C., and he's able to divert the rocket from crashing in the White House. And there's a couple kids nearby. By kicking it. <laughs> yes, by, by, by changing its trajectory somehow. And there's a couple kids nearby who, like, see it happen, but also are close enough that they can get a clear picture of his face on a rocket that's moving, you know, hundreds of miles I was going to say, hour. that's a hell of a photo lens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they get, uh, they you know, in 1940 or whatever it is. Um, so they get on a, a child's toy camera. <laughs> <laughs> so they get it. He gets a very clear picture of Captain America's face. But here's the thing. Captain America was not public knowledge in this film. Like in the MCU one, he becomes like Captain America for the war effort. And they mm-hmm. do newsreels and all that kind of shit. In this, he's essentially like a secret operative who went on one mission and then is thought to have been killed because he gets frozen like he does in the comics and everything. He, he goes to Alaska or some shit and gets uh, he gets frozen. But yeah, so like the u.s military know him as captain america in the 40s that's the name they give him they give this secret operative and he does this thing and then he disappears forever but then the president at the end starts calling him that and like out of the blue now i mean i guess you could say he's the president so he could have learned about some of this but he's but he only like he still seemed like he was in the dark. Right. right. It's like it's only once Captain America shows up and there's like a picture of him that he's like, oh, my God, it's that like, guy I, I got a picture it. of yeah. when I was a kid. So it's not like he's been privy to secret government files. And it's like, oh, there was a Captain America project. It's like he it's like this people who wrote the script completely forgot that the president just knows him as some secret guy. And but by the end, he starts just calling him Captain America by name when they're like running around and like yeah. killing henchmen. And I was like, wait, that doesn't add up. Yeah, he would have. Uh... He could have asked Steve Rogers his name, and then he could have said, "Call me Captain America, sir." You could have done that. Uh, what's his name? Ned Beatty would have known, but Ned Beatty, like he tells Ned Beatty to find him, and then gets kidnapped before. Um before talking to Beatty again. Yeah. Does he and tell Ned Be- Beatty his name? No, no. Ned Beatty would have found out, like, presumably the... by talking to Steve Rogers and, like, yeah. um, Bernie. Bernie. Bernie? Bernie. But, and, and then he, he dies. Oh, that was such a sweet moment, though, where Steve Rogers hands the uh, decoder over to the president going, your best friend is dead. <laughs> <laughs> You anyway, know, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. President. Uh, <sighs> oh, yes, the Mr. President, thanks. With a yeah, thumbs, thumbs up. up. Oh. That, is, that is the ultimate goober moment of this movie, and it is absolutely the picture I'm using when I put this episode out. <laughs> and once again, what happens right before that, the President punches a bunch of Nazis and tosses a uh, cap his shield. And I'm like... President's better than Captain America in this. <laughs> David, David, not Nazis, Italians. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. And also, and... also when Captain America does, uh, so the, the president does that, Red Skull has a machine gun that he was just shooting Captain America with. Red Skull is not uh, 
incapacitated. He's still like behind a pillar. Captain America turns his back to him to give the president a thumbs up. It's like <laughs> Red Skull should just be murdering him right now. That's yeah, what yeah. should happen. Uh, oh God. The, the actress who played um, Red Skull's daughter, she had some emotion at times. I was like, wow, I wish this was a character. As opposed to a set piece who's just kind of there. Like, there's a couple of moments for her where she's looking up at her uh, dad and it's just like, oh, papa. And it just, you you might be a good act, actor, but they did not give you anything in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, she constantly was showing up and I feel like it wasn't totally clear that she was bad to like the characters in the movie, but like you can kind of just glean it based on her actions. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, one of my favorite parts of the entire movie is the, like the chase scene in Italy. And I think it's because it hits like every like generic chase scene beat of like, they crash into a fruit cart. Uh, <laughs> there's kids in the middle of the road that captain yes. America has to like save before they get run over. Uh, one of the bad guys now jumps on a motorcycle and starts chasing them. Um, he hits someone and they fall into a family eating dinner. And then they get away from them by jumping off a smallish cliff into the water. And once you're in the water, clearly there's no way of finding you because they, they give up the chase. And it was just like, this is like every single beat that I would expect from a naked gun chase scene for them to make fun of. <laughs> If, uh, if you want to talk about, like, uh, you know, common tropes, when Red Skull is killed, he is knocked <laughs> off of the castle, which is along a cliffside with, like, the ocean below it. And then we see, like, a dummy tumble along the cliffside. But, I mean, that's been done in so many bad oh, yeah. 80s movies of, like, the villain falls to their death in some horrible... I mean, even, like, Temple of Doom did it um, in a more fun way than this but uh but many things have done it but it immediately made me think of the 1994 fantastic four movie because they have doom fall to his death <laughs> yeah. as well at the end of that one and i actually fast forwarded through the credits because it's been a long time since i saw this because i wondered like did they have a post credit scene where it's like <laughs> red skulls climbing out of the ocean or something but there's nothing there so no. uh, they they held back the other thing I was curious about that was when... So, he had... Was it the detonator that he was holding at the end? Yes. It wasn't the bomb itself. Because that's what I was trying to figure out. Is how is knocking him into the ocean while he's holding the detonator going to stop the bomb? Wouldn't the bomb still go off? Well, and what what was the bomb plot again? I, by I the know, end, he, I was getting a, a little... Oh. I, was a, I was a little confused of what he was actually trying... At one point, he was he wanted the president... He wanted the president to be like mind warped yes. to yeah. like do shit but then red skull had a plan b and it was to blow everyone up and it failed because he fell in the water yeah he <laughs> um his plan b was to uh blow up himself and a good chunk of europe because he, okay. he mentions a good portion of southern europe will be uninhabitable for right. our, yeah it's just, i caught i caught that i was just confused i was like was this always the plan and i missed it or is this a new plan <laughs> backup I, bomb plan i feel bad for his daughter in that moment i'm like at least get her out but no um yeah how how exactly do uh 
if that's what you're doing, why do you have a timer on your detonator that is like five minutes long? <laughs> it was like an egg timer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it had really cool like mechanics to it. It looked cool, but it was also a... You know, if you're just like, oh, they're about to catch me. I need to, you know, destroy everything right now, right now. Yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> All right, great, great. We've got five minutes. Yes, well, the the hero needs time to save the world, David, you see. Uh, we we can't be bringing logic into these things. Um, but to throw out a couple more tropes that I noticed, uh, there is a soft rock montage at one point that is just brutal. It is just horrible. The movie also ends with a terrible song over the credits whatever it is but the soft rock montage is real bad and then the other one i don't know if this is all throughout the movie but there was at least one moment where it just i immediately flashed to it where the score had some very lethal weapon vibes so if you remember in Lethal Weapon when, like, after Riggs and Murtaugh do something and there's some quip after they beat a bad guy and then it does one of those saxophone yeah. licks. Wow. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> and then it cuts to a new scene um, and they've parodied that on It's Always Sunny. Uh, there's at least, like, one moment in, like, the back half where I was like, oh, that's that's straight from Lethal Weapon. And the first Lethal Weapon was, like, 87. And the second one, I think, was 89. So, like, they were very popular action films prior to this. So I would not be surprised if they're like, let's get some uh, Lethal Weapon magic in here. <laughs> if they wanted some Lethal Weapon magic, they should have just cast Danny Glover as Captain America. That would have <laughs> oh. made this movie cool. <laughs> I think he would have been too old for that shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> Fun fact. Um, they actually are trying to do a fifth Lethal Weapon movie. And are they really? Called, well, here's the thing. It was I, I read about this some time back, but I you know I checked it again. So Lethal Finale was the name. It was in like active development. They were going to bring back Gibson and uh, Danny Glover, which like Danny Glover from the first movie. It was I'm getting too old for this shit, and he's like and now he's like forty years his, older <laughs> in his seventies. Well, I, I read. I guess he was like forty at the time, but he was playing fifty. So within the Lethal Weapon universe, he would be, like, in his 80s. <laughs> so anyway, so they the, theoretically, they were going to do it, and that Richard Donner was going to come back, and it was going to be the last film he directed. But, I mean, he just died. But even before he died, I was like, how does this happen? Because I, I love Richard Donner stuff. I think he was an immense talent. But he hadn't directed a film in maybe, like, 15 years. And, you know, he was 91, and there's guys who are that old, like Clint Eastwood still does it, but they never stopped. It's just like, okay, new year, new movie. I don't know if, if he could have jumped back in. Uh, and so it's a thing that I wonder about, but yeah, I, I don't know. So I don't know if, if there will be no lethal weapon five now or what. Have Shane Black direct it. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. Set it in Christmas. I mean, aside from the fact that Mel Gibson is, you know, kind of an awful person and, and yeah, should yeah. we be making another lethal weapon film? But <laughs> Just picturing uh, a Harold Zoid from uh, Futurama type thing. <laughs> is that just everyone making this movie is out of touch? Oh, no. <laughs> it all depends on how well Indiana Jones uh, 5 does, I guess, as to whether or not we'll get another lethal weapon. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they it's not just Indy. I mean, you've got the last 
10 years of all of these properties and even like Rocky, you know, they brought him back in. I mean, he wasn't doing the physical stuff in Creed, but I mean, the model is there, but for my money, I think the, the ones that have worked the best is when the original creator comes back and helps as like mm. a in a producing role. And they're kind of like, Oh, I'm going to give insight and help this. But you bring in like a young director who just fucking loves it and gets it. Cause that's, I mean, that's what happened with Blade Runner, like yeah. Dennis Villeneuve or whatever. And then Ridley Scott's like writing the checks and like, please keep doing that. And then the new Halloween had John Carpenter involved as producer and a wonderful fucking score. But I don't really trust him to direct that movie anymore after like vampires and ghosts of Mars. And the <laughs> Lord. Uh, but I'm glad he's involved. That to me is the magic. So like, I think Richard Donner could have been good as the, like doing that as a handoff to somebody else. But so you're saying since Matt Salinger and I think Ronnie Cox are still around, bring in Albert Pune to maybe, you know, be a consultant and get, I don't know, uh, name a director and the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, what they should do is, uh, you know, Marvel's got the MCU going. They're getting into the multiverse now. They, ah. take, a, they take a page from uh, the DC movies and they bring back what fans have been wanting since 1990. They bring back Matt Salinger like DC's bringing back Michael Keaton's Batman. And they bring back Matt Salinger as old Cap. Like we've all wanted. And we get that as an offshoot MCU movie. There you go. Make it happen, Kevin Feige. <laughs> Except Daveed's he's still, going he's still so in the many emotions right yeah. now. <laughs> I don't think any of them are good. I, 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 I would... We could do a whole uh, old man cap, um, a whole old man cap series on Dis Disney Plus coming next fall. Old man Matt Salinger and makeup ridden uh, Chris Evans. Yep. Oh my God! Yes, it it'll be the odd couple. <laughs> With action. One of them's good. <laughs> All right. So, anything else before we wrap up? No, I'll just say uh, I'm I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. I wouldn't say it was, you know, it's not going to be something I'm going to add to my collection like you did, uh, Linton, and have it as like a... Well, I have it as a bootleg, I'll say I mean, that. That, that's fine, and I'll probably keep the version that I watched in the manner that I was able to get it on whatever device I have it on for <laughs> some future reference uh, that may, may, may or may not ever come, but... Uh, in terms of actually finding, you know, I think they made a Blu-ray when they did the uh, yes. the Captain America release. And I, I don't think I'm going to find myself searching for it on Amazon or some other uh, yeah. website. So that's, to, that's to, my to question together. of would you recommend. So any anything on that, Jimmy? I mean, yeah, if you, if you are interested in seeing what the early 90s MCU brought about just to kind of do your completionist, then... There's nothing wrong with pulling this one out and giving it a watch. It's a tight 87 some odd minutes. And like we said, the first 20 minutes are interesting enough. Um, and then the rest of the movie, you can kind of just watch it with some cheese and 
I mean, not eating cheese, but you know, it's yeah. cheesy. You can eat cheese and watch it. The movie supplies the cheese. You yeah. don't need to bring your own cheese. You can bring your own yeah. cheese. Never wrong to bring your own cheese. <laughs> oh, sir, just have yourself a nice bottle of Italian wine. Yeah. Or Italian German <laughs> wine if you can find it. And and the movie provides the cheese. Yeah. Alright, David, would you recommend Captain America? Honestly? No no. <laughs> like uh Go on YouTube, find the uh, Captain America versus Red Skull 1990 scene. Just search for that, and you'll get that fight scene, um, which is the best part of the movie. Uh, and it, 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 I think it's the movie is not so horrible as the uh, Corman Fantastic Four, which is so bad that you know you have to watch it, and it's not even as good as the not good Punisher with uh, Dolph Lundgren and I'm like that, which was watchable and fairly good I'm just like this movie was so utterly meh <laughs> yeah would you say it, uh, it, it, it is a better watch than like Superman 4 Quest for Peace yeah it's a better watch than Superman 4 okay, Quest for okay. Peace yeah seeing where that kind of falls and then uh it's a better Pantheon watch. Of, of bad superhero movies. <laughs> it's I, a better watch, but Superman Quest for Peace has some weird ass shit in it yes, that you should that you yeah. should see. Like this doesn't have any reason to see it. I I agree. Yeah, I I think it's I would say it's a better film than Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. I don't know that I'd agree it's a better watch because I think Superman Four there's more like. Oh fuck, that's a weird choice. Like when Superman, <laughs> I remember like a cracked magazine parodying a thing of Superman Four, and they put like one little bit in, which was, uh, "Now I'm going to use my rebuild the Great Wall vision," because at some point, uh, Nuclear Man destroys the Great Wall, and then Superman just uses I beams to rebuild it. It's like that's not a power of Superman. He has many, but that's not one of them. And then there's all kind of like bad special effects, and the actors weird and. Gene Hackman is like full on scenery chewing. Like I, I believe he knew what he was in at that point. Uh, so, uh, but I'd say this is probably on par with Superman three, probably okay. along that line, uh, mm -hmm. which is also bad. Um, yeah, for myself, uh, I I would recommend it only to comic book fans. I think, like I, I mean, I've growing up, I've watched most of them coming out and at some point i realized oh i've seen most of these so i started keeping track and like went back and watched other things and then as the new ones come out i basically will always watch them i don't always go to the theater because i don't always want to support them um like <laughs> Zack snyder and things like that like i don't want your to give you money um but i will watch them eventually like on dvd or something and uh, so I would recommend it as like kind of a comic book completionist. I think it's a weird little wrinkle in the history of the MCU. I gave uh, kind of an intro to this in the last episode where I talked about like the, the comic book movies didn't really explode until Sam Raimi, Spider-Man and the 2000 X-Men, because that was the point where we had reached a level where CGI was good enough 
that they could pull off a lot of stuff and then the mm -hmm. cgi has increased as we've gone and obviously not all of them hold up and look great as far as that goes but they and they also started to see the value of like holy shit these movies could make 500 million dollars or a billion dollars or two billion dollars in some cases so um you know really wasn't till that hit and then it hasn't really stopped from like 2000 to now 2021 marvel will con has a slate for the next number of years dc will be doing stuff they'll keep mining minor properties but yeah if you look at the history of like comic book films richard donner superman was great and really kind of like showed you can make something very good and it's not like kids stuff but it took a while for other studios to like have that confidence or to think they could pull something off and so by the time we get 89 batman that gives us a little kind of minor comic book renaissance and you get some of these other ones so you got dick tracy you got um the uh the shadow came out around there you got the the phantom uh, the rocketeer and so there's various in batman returns and then the batman series continued through the 90s so this this is one of the oddities uh of that era because it obviously wasn't successful obviously didn't make any money didn't have a big budget so you might not have even heard of it but for comic book completionists i think it's uh worthwhile and then david i do have a question because you might know this i know in the 90s marvel was strapped for cash and having problems and they sold off a lot of rights to stuff and then they went like bankrupt and reconfigured but they sold off the rights to like kind of stay afloat and that's why all the marvel properties were all over the place until they eventually were able to reacquire some and then disney bought 20th century and so now they they own all their characters at this point for i mean they own them but they own them for film except for like namor or that may have changed recently and then the hulk i know they can't do a solo hulk movie which is why they keep putting him as a side character like in thor and he's going to be in she hulk as a side character but they can't do a, like a Hulk movie because that's under like Universal. So there's some deal with that. But uh, my question to Vita is like, do you know 1990, what like 8990 or prior was Marvel in dire straits? I'm just wondering how this went to some shitty production company and it wasn't at least sold to 20th Century Fox or Universal. Like, like I'm just surprised that none of them had the rights to this. I... I honestly, I don't know. Um, I think the bankruptcy was mid '90s, but I mean, part of it might be you know they're Captain America's a name, but the big hitters that they have are Spider-Man and X-Men at the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, so maybe this was like sold in the '80s when like before Batman, and it just wasn't seen as viable. I'm not totally sure, but. Coming back to my point, uh, if you are a comic book fan, I'd say it's worth watching just for that kind of interesting little bit of, uh, you know, that's a curiosity, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I have some drinks, have some other comic book fans with you possibly, but it's not so bad that you're going to be like laughing throughout. All right, so that wraps us up for Captain America, other than can I find this? So, this movie is out there in a few different forms. It is free on YouTube. 
Uh, I don't know if that was legit or somebody had uploaded it. I can't remember, but it's on there. Uh, it's on Hulu, and it looked like it was on Stars. So you can see it a few different ways online or streaming. And then they have released a DVD and a Blu-ray. I think those only came about when, like, the first Avenger came out. I think before that, the only way to watch this was, like, a VHS copy, uh, I believe. Which I think I, is, like, why I have the bootleg from way back. I have to wonder if Stars paid to get this and was hoping for an alternative Captain America. <laughs> and were just, you know, boondoggled about it. Or if they were just, like... We'll take anything. We're stars. Yeah. We need some content. <laughs> it's called Captain America, so people may watch it. Maybe others will be boondoggled into watching it. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that does it for Captain America, the 1990 Captain America. We are going to be switching gears and looking at something very different next time. We're going to be looking at Don Hertzfeldt's World of Tomorrow series. <gasps> it is a three-part, or at least currently three-part on uh, potentially ongoing series of short films it's science fiction experimental animation uh don hertzfeldt is the director most notable for rejected the kind of famous uh video that circulated in the 2000s um it's really good uh really good series and we'll be looking at that with uh, a new crew so join us then <laughs>